Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast, markets number 268. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. If you'd like a free flashlight, hit up marketing at axontire.com. Uh, the good people at Axon will send you one in the mail, so just send an email to marketing at axontire.com, and they'll drop you a free flashlight in the mail. Make sure you tell them the Moving Iron Podcast sent you. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. This week, I've got uh, Rich Possum back here with me to do, do the rundown of what's happening in the economy and there's plenty of stuff happening right now rich i guess as you uh take an overall look at what's going on here we had you know pretty big announcements from the fed that they're going to raise rates three quarters of a percent and said you know pretty much be be ready to see it again on in july so in one month uh basically in 30-day span we're going to see a percent and a half increase in in the fed rate we've got energy costs that are through the roof right now the only thing that's really saved nat- natural gas is that they had a an explosion at a uh, export line that that's shutting that down so that's driving that price down a little bit but you're paying you know 550 to seven dollars for diesel you're paying anywhere between i got fuel the other day out here where i live at and it was just about five bucks and i know people are listening to this going like i've been paying five bucks for three three months now but it's uh it's making its way across the country rich so i guess as you take a look at this situation that we're in right now whether it's energy costs food costs interest rates inflation what's your what's your synopsis on on the uh, overarching theme that we see right now yeah so as you go to the your discussion there with the gas uh, mm-hmm. it's fascinating a lot of talk on wall street of my gosh we got five seven dollar gasoline they looked at the gasoline futures compared it to a year ago and they just said you know a huge difference uh you know extreme record high, yet they compare it to crude oil, and crude oil is nowhere near its record high and uh, not even higher than something like eight to 10 years ago. And so they said, boy, these gasoline uh, refineries are really raking in the big bucks. Well, as it turns out, yes, when we look at their profits, they are really raking in the big bucks. And it's just kind of sad when we're all, the whole world's kind of caught up in a crisis thing triggered by Russia, Ukraine, and 
and all this inflation and everything else. And uh, kind of sad that we see companies raking in such big bucks here. And uh, it is an issue, you know, it mm-hmm. certainly has upset uh, everyone. And uh, the interesting thing, though, is um, I've seen some charts put out by someone, uh, two people that wrote an article on Bloomberg, and they, they did a nice job. They weren't trying to put in their own personal opinion. They just simply laid it out. This is what they, they could see. And really, when you compare the current generations buying all these commodities and going to the store and all this inflation and their cost, when you look at uh, the gener- prior generations in the 70s all the way back to the 1950s, uh, you can see really we're in much better shape than today. We have more savings. We have a greater net worth, although that net worth is uh, crashing here with the stock market right at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. So you can see that in a way we don't have much to complain about. Our cars are more efficient. We're not burning as much gasoline as our great grandparents did, uh, even if we are paying a higher price than they did. Uh, But, you know, standard economics would then say, okay, you know, don't make too big a deal out of this. On the other hand, behavioral economics says, yeah, but you got to look at the actual people, how they actually think. And what's going on is the current generations, you know, they're, they're anchored to their own pocketbook, obviously. And to them, they haven't seen these kind of prices and it is hurting them. And even if they are in better shape than great granddad and great grandma, they don't really recognize it or they don't care. Okay. And who can blame them? Right. So the point is, point is we still have unhappy consumers, <laughs> right. yeah. even though, even though we can get scientific here and say, well, there's no reason to be that unhappy. Uh, that's right. not going to change anything. So we still have this, uh, this uh, battle here of uh, everybody very upset at where their costs are, are going. And we can see the credit card uh, expenditures uh, has soared. So people are spending big bucks and you say, oh boy, that's why the economy is so hot and doing so well. But actually when you adjust it for inflation, people are actually buying a little less. It's just that things cost more. And so they're spending more. Um, the good news is since they're buying a little less means they're starting to uh, uh, try to fight for a little lower prices. And this is kind of what we need to create this whole anti-inflation scenario that we're working on here. And it is interesting, if I could look at my chicken scratch here, some of the ideas I wrote down. Uh, we're seeing from the Philadelphia Fed, which is uh, monitored quite well compared to some of the regions of the U.S., that new orders are really crashing. So what's happening is inventories are building in some of these stores and it's only a matter of time. They'll start lowering their prices to try to entice people to buy. This helps when inflation starts moving product. But actually the supply chain was a little better than people thought. And we were able to build inventories faster than what was really uh, necessary. So we're seeing some evidence that, you know, Later this year, on into next year, the supply chain thing is is still going to be in a process of being fixed. I don't know how you define a specific date that we could say, okay, we made it. We fixed the supply chain. It's too complicated. But we do see evidence the supply chain is, is being fixed and we're going to get there. And I think... August, my model's forecasting from August into next year, we're going to see improving inflation data. We're going to see improving overall business economic data. We're going to get back to a normal economy. I'm not saying it's going to flip uh, in August and just be fantastic. It's still going to be a process. It'll just keep improving along the way. But uh, from now into July, I think we're stuck with still high inflation numbers, Interest rates are going to still stay high. Fed Reserve is going to continue to pound higher interest rates. It's still going to be pretty much the same old news. 
And there's still going to be worries. I think there's still going to be weakness in the stock market all the way into July here, even though we're kind of overdue for a little bounce, a recovery bounce the next few days. But um, yeah, I, we got to, we still got work to do, but I think things improve from August into the end of the year. I think next year is going to be a very good year in the stock market, but I will mention that 60% of CEOs, I forget who did this poll, but it was a, it was either somebody like CNBC or it was a big name bank, but 60% of CEOs, corporate CEOs believe we'll be in a recession in 12 to 18 months, 72% of Wall Street analysts, economists think we can be in a recession uh, by early next year. My model's saying, no, it won't occur. And so far, it's done quite well when they were worried just a few months ago over this interest rate curve business going inverted. That's normally a warning for a recession. My model said, no, that's just a little blip. Don't get carried away. And yes, it, it corrected. It went back. And, and so right away, suddenly the analysts are saying, well, maybe we won't have a recession. Now they're back to saying we're going to have a recession, but I'm really not seeing that evidence in the interest rate market that, that it's sending that kind uh, of a signal. So I'm going to stick with my model that what's going to happen is these analysts are getting carried away. Everybody's getting a little too scared. Later this year, we're going to see some improvement uh, of where we're, we're going to start thinking, no, eventually we'll beat this inflation stuff and the economy is going to survive. Now, I'm not saying we won't dip towards inflation. I was doing some research last night on my favorite indicator, the PMI, that we get at the first of every month. And um, I could see we're going to get some shocking news in the next 30 to 60 days of the PMI dropping quite a bit. It may drop back to 50, which is neutral, may even dip down to as low as 47, which is going to scare people of recession. But I think in the timeline of how the economy grows during a decade, it's just going to be a, a bit of a scare. And um, I think it'll recover and stay in that 50s areas, which is uh, net growth. So granted, I still see some problems, bad news going into July, but I think... Uh, I think things are going to improve. We're going to back off inflation. But keep in mind, this we're stuck with the inflation being higher than the prior decade or two. We're probably stuck with that for the rest of this decade. But I just don't see us hanging around 4, 5, 6, 7, 8% like we've seen. Eventually, we're going to get back to about 3%. But just as the Fed Reserve had a terrible time trying to get inflation up to 2% for 10 or 20 years, I think they're going to find this decade is going to be very difficult to get it down to 2%, which is now what they want. Uh, it's going to stay above it no matter what. Uh, it's kind of like, hey, the cows finally broke out of the barn, the bull jumped the fence. <laughs> they're just, you know, it, things have changed and we're stuck with an elevated level of inflation. But I still don't see the 1970s inflation where it was just 7 or 8% every year for 10 years. Prices went up that much every year. I don't see that. It's, it's going to slow down and we're still going to pay more, but I'm just saying it's going to slow down uh, and not get so crazy on us. It's probably not going to blow up on us. I think the gold market is some evidence of that. Gold does, does not care about this inflation. It's it's rather puzzling in a way. Yeah, that's so uh, weird. I've noticed that too. You think that that would be a a big yeah, indicator, like gold like, stocks and those kind of things. Yeah, you would think it can hardly even get a blip up in gold. It's yeah. just and gold was strong. I think in 2019, gold started thinking, you know. Uh, Trump's trade war is going to help create inflation. The economy doesn't seem to back off. 
Trump Fed Reserve pushing to extend the economy, make it keep going. And so it really got excited and, and, and rallied quite well. And then it's like this pan, when the pandemic hit, it backed off some, and it has done nothing since. And here, here we got real inflation. We do have mm-hmm. serious inflation, no question about it. And it's doing nothing. I, I think it believes we'll raise interest rates high enough that will fix it. It's almost like the gold market is saying there's a different kind of definition for transitory and inflation is transitory and uh, not the transitory everybody's been talking about. And I think everybody's given up on that. But I think it really believes this is not the 1970s and it's not going to uh, destroy us. And the bond market kind of gives us hints that it thinks of that as well at times. But uh, let's face it, we've, we've had one of the fastest jumps in interest rates uh, this year here. And I think interest rates are going higher in the July, and my model's concerned it'll be fast enough that it won't be a good thing for the stock market. I think crude oil is going higher into July, and my model said it ought to be down this week and maybe into next week, and it did back off this week. And that was for a certain type of little short-term sell signal, but really the model's saying it should be back up and be higher into July. Now, with any luck at all, it won't go to a new high for the year. The model's allowing it to go to a new high for the year. But right at the moment, the model's saying it's going to be rather limited to the upside. And with any luck at all, we'll get a long-term top in crude oil in July, and it'll be down into next year. The stock market's going to like it. Uh, the economy will do better. Um, but for the moment, we're still at risk of, of some higher crude oil. It looks good. looks like it's still going to push it higher uh, into next month, and the stock market model doesn't like that. Uh, the stock market model doesn't like the higher dollar. It wants a lower dollar. The dollar is very high, and the models bullish the dollar into next month. So that's not a positive thing for us. And uh, and then this last inflation report, it, you know, we started to turn inflation rate down, and the next thing you know, it's right back up. Really scared the stock market. They sold hard, and um, we may be a few more months here of some strong inflation before it comes down. But like I was saying, I think August into December this year, we'll see some evidence deflation's pulling back. When you dig deeper into the things that can that create these inflation numbers, you could see some prices are coming down and other prices just aren't going up as fast. And you could see that mixture changing where we have an opportunity to, uh, to get some better days here in the future. But I don't think we're going to get... Uh, you know, positive information over the next 30 to 45 days here. We're kind of stuck with that. Um, and stocks like Amazon have been hammered. And there's discussion this morning that Amazon made a huge long-term bet that this hot economy was going to be here for a very long time. And so the, it was a, what Wall Street calls as a pulling forward of estimates of profitability, business, earnings, and uh, they probably made the wrong bet. And that's what's spooking people in some of these individual stocks right now, that some of these companies probably built up too fast, jumped on board, and they're backing off. Investors are still quite bearish. Uh, some of them think uh, the S&P 500 stock index is in the 3600s right now. And JP Morgan said a poll of their investors shows uh, that they won't buy the stock market to its 3,500. Some of them won't buy it to 2,000, which would be lower than the 2020 bottom, which I do not see. There's no way I'm forecasting that. But it just shows you how bearish negative people are. They're really too negative. It's a contrarian buy signal in the stock market. Yet my model saying it does not want to buy until, say, late July, even if it misses out uh, of some up move. It's saying it would rather wait. 
and uh, see how all this uh, works out. Uh, we have the cryptocurrencies. Uh, Crypto. trillion, do- trillion dollars has been lost I in know. cryptocurrency. Got their head ripped off. <laughs> Hammer. And yep. I turned long-term bearish Bitcoin late last year. I didn't make a big deal out of it, but it's certainly looking correct right now. My model has done well keeping up with the fluctuations from month to month here, and it did turn bearish a little while ago again. And uh, it's down, and the model's saying it's staying down into July. Well, crypto lay, or uh, Bitcoin has run a, a positive correlation with stock market lately. So if we're right on the forecast of lower into July for uh, Bitcoin, um, we, we could very well be right that the uh, stock market is going to be a bit lower into late July. Now, the stock market really isn't watching Bitcoin. It may, may start to watch a little more, uh, seeing a trillion dollars lost, and everybody gets nervous. Are we setting up for some kind of financial crisis? What else is going wrong, you know? I don't think, I don't really think that. But, um, and again, even though I'm kind of bearish in the late July stock market, Bitcoin, some of these other things, we could see things just move sideways. I mean, they've really have pounded things here quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, I fully understand when people uh, look at their 401ks that they're, they're not too optimistic of the future right now. <laughs> but uh, that's fascinating thing. Even though the stock market is lower and I wanted to see, my model was saying it could very well go this low with this kind of fundamental lineup here. And the model did say last December, it's time for a minor long-term bear market. And it's and we took a shot at it. It would be over by February, March. We got a very nice bounce. And the next thing in the model is saying, uh-oh, it's probably going down again. And boy, did it ever. And now the model's saying this late July bottom may be the long-term bottom we're looking for. And this tucks inside a much more long-term bullish scenario from 2020 when I'm still optimistic for this decade. We still have lots of economic growth, good money to made out of the stock market. We're going to start from a little lower price here this year. But I do think I'm, I'm staying with my forecast made late last year that if you wanted to summarize this year, it would be down, then up. And up doesn't mean that it'll be higher than last year. I, I think the stock market will finish the year with a minus number. But I think it's going to recover quite a bit in August to uh, December. And if I'm right on that, I should be right on the forecast for next year that it ought to be just an up year for the stock market. And the same for the economy. So I still not going that direction with the recession. I realize there's not, I'm now up against a large group of people, some of them very smart, very clever, who are worried of a recession early next year. But uh, I, I look at some of the things they're looking at. It's very good research, very good opinion. But I've noticed that this has occurred for 100 years now, that if they're not in line with this long-term business cycle, chances are their forecast will be wrong. And so I'm going to stay with this, with this long-term business forecast and say we're going to be all right and we're going to work through this. And I think next year will be a, uh, a pretty good year here, but uh, like I see, at least now into late July, we can have some lingering downside and problems and complications here. Uh, yeah, and uh, and so I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, we still got some weakness coming over in the grains. I'm actually a little uh, I've triggered a buy signal in corn here in recent days. Triggered a buy in uh, soybeans. I think to go higher into July, but this isn't from inflation. This is not from uh, speculation and hedging uh, mm-hmm. going on in commodities to drive them higher. It's really just a weather scare. Weather scare, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, so the question I got for you now is you, if you stay in here with the economy a little bit, um, as you look at 
interest rates and how they affect housing starts and and other building style type things, you know, infrastructure things and those kind of things. As you look at these longer term deals, you know, the price of lumber has come down from a high of sixteen hundred down to right around like five hundred and fifty um, dollars per hundred uh, linear feet. And if you're looking at that from that perspective, um, that's a huge change right now. Now you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or your local hardware store and those kind of things, and you're looking at at the price of lumber. It hasn't really moved yet, obviously, because that's you know future contracts and what they're buying stuff for. But I guess as you look at those things and the price of materials are coming down as, as fast as we see them coming down. Do you feel like you could see a boom in, in not necessarily a boom, but a, maybe a bit of an uptick in 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 the building sector, even though interest rates are as high as they are? I'm going to be kind of negative real estate, home building all the way into about the year 2025, 2026. That's how the model is. Model likes to give us timelines, give right. us uh, ranges of years to look at. And uh, I think everything backs off to, to mid-decade. I think by mid-decade, commodities will be down a lot. Real estate will be off. Not by huge amounts in real estate. It's really just kind of like chilling out, okay, kind of scenario. We may get into what I call a secondary recession by mid-decade. We may see the Federal Reserve actually lower rates. And it is interesting. The Federal Reserve projected higher interest rates in the next year than down uh, by 2024. So I think they're warning us. They're not warning us, but they're saying they think they'll beat this inflation thing by going into next year, and then they can back off a little. Uh, new new home sales, yeah, they're off quite a bit, and uh, building is slowed here. The, the, what's going on is in, the interest rates are so high because some of these mortgages, like a 30-year mortgage, it's doubled its rate compared yeah. to just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, the thing is, you would say, okay, then nobody's going to build anything. You know, it just scares them. Their expenses have gone up. They can't afford the mortgage. And even the banks are backing off and saying, we want more proof that you could really make this work. But you, if you think about it, we were still building homes when there were 17, 20% interest rates in 1980. Sure. Uh, I even recall a farmer uh, from Holland that actually moved to New Mexico or California or something, built a gigantic dairy farm. I actually spoke with him and he, he said, it was miserable, it was terrible, but we built it anyways and we paid those 17% interest rates, you know. So business goes on anyways. So, but you get these pockets. And so we've shot these interest rates higher, and I think we've triggered a little pocket here where people go say, I'm pulling back, I'm not building that new home. And But after a while, they'll kind of get used to the rate a little bit, and they still have their own personal needs. They either need a home or they seriously want a home, and pretty soon they make adjustments and they'll say, you know what, I can do it now. And so it's going to be a come and go kind of thing. The demand's going to kind of break up, fluctuate a little more faster here, up and down along the way. And it's not going to be an end of the world scenario where we're just going to crash and not build any homes at all. And we better hope that's not the case because home building is an important component of our economy of GDP. But we are going to back it off. It's high enough. It's changing people's minds here. And yes, when the lumber futures are down a lot, and my model correctly forecasts that drop, but these cash prices, many years ago, I did a study using U.S. government cash prices comparing to futures, and you could just see there could be a six-month lag. So it could take quite a while to work these prices lower in the store. And um, if we are going to get a bounce in, in home prices, it may be two years from now, something like that, uh, or home sales, I should say. And, and it might be the best around 2025 just because we actually have lowered prices, you know. 
fascinating structure here. It's going to be a bit more complicated. It's not going to be one direction like it had been. I mean, we had aggressive building of homes, aggressive raising prices. Now it's going to get a little more complicated. It's going to fluctuate both ways uh, in the next few years here. So not a major crash, but I do think uh, things ease back here eventually. And I hope so. I still haven't built a home myself and <laughs> got the land land bought, but I haven't built it yet. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's my next question. Let's talk about overall land and, and real estate and how that associates with land. I sent you an article. I can't remember if it was from New York Times or Wall Street Journal one, but it was it was uh, basically talking about in, in your area of the world, um, folks coming out from, from New York City, moving out to the um, you know upper New York and in into that rural area, um, Pennsylvania and rural Pennsylvania, and, and and really paying a bunch of money for these farms and and driving up costs. Now where I live at out here, we don't really see that as much as you see it in a next to a major metropolitan area like that. But I guess as you look at at those kind of things. There's always this romantic idea that someone's going to quit their job and go farm, and it's just going to be gumdrops and candy canes. <laughs> gumdrops yeah. and candy canes as, as, soon as, they, as soon as they get out there. But it, it's rarely, rarely that way. So um, I guess as you're looking at that, Rich, um, you know, wh- what are you seeing on, on the land side of real estate? Yeah, that article is New York Times, and it was saying the Hudson Valley farm, some of them jumped 62% yeah. and, uh, and value here. And, uh, and of course, that's an average. So some have been over 100% to jump, and others haven't jumped as much. But 62% average is pretty impressive. That is stronger than the rest of New York, and New York mm-hmm. is still relatively uh, cheap compared to surrounding uh, states. And we are seeing increased interest. Uh, we've even had uh, farmers from Iowa, believe it or not, uh, take a look at uh, farmland. We have people from Iowa just coming out wanting to buy a few acres up in hills and mountains for a little place to vacation. We're seeing people from Texas come up, uh, quite a few people from Texas. Uh, a little bit different story there, kind of some of it's politically motivated. Some of it, they just want a summer home mm-hmm. uh, to get out of the heat in the south. Uh, we're also seeing a little increase in, in Florida here. Uh, prices have increased, say, in central New York, um, where we primarily concentrate, but not as aggressive as that Hudson Valley. They have not uh, exploded by no means, but we've seen people like in Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, and down in uh, Manhattan uh, coming out just paying uh, full price. Uh, and some of them are, are actually farmers in those other states, and it's just too busy, too expensive, too hectic. And it's just time for them to cash in. And they're just coming out and writing a check, not even dealing. They're just paying full price, get it bought. But it's it's not that strong. It's strong in the Hudson Valley, but not that's necessarily that strong uh, in central New York. And, and like I say, prices haven't surged enough where I would say they're too high priced. Uh, there's still very good value here. And I think it's going to be a plus for us in the next decade or two. And I'm kind of betting there's some of this water issues in western uh uh, states is going to lead to maybe a little more improvement of uh, establishing new farms and water plants here in the eastern uh, mm-hmm. states uh, because if anything I think we're actually getting wetter <laughs> yeah. um, and so that's uh, fascinating stuff now in terms of what you said about people wanting to uh, farm Hudson Valley what you've seen is some of the uh, the aggressive commercial Type farming has backed off over the years. Some of it regulation, some of it's just to a populated area. Uh, and so they move to other areas. What you're seeing is that's uh, being replaced with people with small farms who want alternative farming. 
and organic farming and a variety of things. And most of them also want to do their own marketing. They're not going to sell to the commercial food processing companies, the milk plant, things like that. So they need to be near these bigger cities. And it's really hurt them with this jump in, in farm prices because if they, they can't afford to buy a farm, number one now, number two, if they're renting, the new buyer normally wants to raise the rent because they just paid more for the farm. And that's really putting the grips on them. But what's fascinating is these people coming out of the big city into the Hudson Valley, they want this picturesque farm where it's like 20 cows and 10 sheep scattered on a side hill and and the right. grass, grass is going yeah. up the butter, buttercup flowers look yeah. pretty. The whole Norman and Rockwell experience, huh? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, and these farmers are saying, and uh, no, that's how that's not how it works. I need three hundred beef cattle, or I need uh, yeah. five hundred sheep, and uh, mm-hmm. and you know, in order to make it work. And and so there's some unrealistic behavior going on there. It's really really pressuring those. And I feel sorry for them because you could argue, well, this is just standard free market economics. You just have to move. Okay, you can't afford it anymore. You go find the next hot area, move. Well, it's not that simple in the sense of their type of farming. They need to get those products into the city on their own. They're doing their own marketing. And, uh, it, it, you know, just where are they going to go? So right. it's, it's really putting them under a lot of lot of pressure because their alternative is, well, if I move, I got to turn to one of those big commercial farms. I got to become that kind of thing. And, and it's kind of sad because they produce a good product that's really wanted, but it's just a different way of marketing it. Right. So it's it's tough on them right now, but it's uh, it's really just a portion of New York. Uh, New York overall is a hot market uh, for farmland, I think, you know. But it's um, at the same time, uh, the farmland prices did not jump as fast as a lot of homes. Homes are homes are really high priced right now across the state, uh, and I can see we're seeing evidence where that's starting to maybe cool off a little bit here. Uh, but farmland, uh, I think, is still a good investment over the next 20 or 30 years uh, in New York for most of it, not in Hudson Valley. <laughs> right. So. right on. Right on. All right. Last last question for you real quick. Um, going like you talked about, you, you, you see a pretty uptick here in the overall um, inflationary kind of environment that we're in through july and start easing off into august through uh, through 2023 um when do you see a, a big issue with with the economy in in the in the near future or in the extended future i guess yeah the primary the one i'm focused on is near the end of the decade once a decade you get what i call a primary recession stock market drops 20 or 50 percent uh fascinating is during, uh, every other decade primary recession Real estate and farmland prices probably won't pay much attention to it, but the decades in between, it becomes more serious. And that's what we're due for because ahead of that problem, every other decade, we get the best surge in real estate. And we've seen that big surge in real estate prices. So we know we're in that every other decade scenario when we also have to assume there's going to be problems at the end of this decade. So to me, I got a green light to be optimistic for the rest of this decade, specifically stock market economy. Granted, real estate got to be a little cautious in coming years. You may pay too high a price and find out you get hammered by the end of this decade. However, probably next decade, you'll find out it's still higher real estate anyways, because that's the way it's worked for hundreds of years. Okay. So 
you know, I'm not, I don't want to scare people into buying. If you need it, you might just as well buy it. I, I remember in early 2000, my wife and I could not be in line with the, with this business cycle. And we had to pay a high price. And later we find out, you know, it really wasn't that big a deal. Mm-hmm. It worked. But you do at the same time, don't take on huge amounts of debt and uh, crunch your numbers of, hey, in about eight years, if suddenly <laughs> your real estate's worth 20% less. Right. What does that do to you? It may do nothing to you. And in addition, for those of you thinking you're going to buy a huge bargain by the end of the decade, you're going to see on Zillow and Realtor.com and all those things showing what they think things are worth. They'll probably show things crashing. You may learn you can't buy it. You can't find the property you want that even though it's probably worth that low level, the seller isn't going to sell it. They don't have to. Right. So you're really looking at a very small amount of properties that will actually sell under that kind of scenario. Yeah. So, so it's really more of an issue for we stock and market investors, which is why I'm going to do my best of having a major sell signal when that occurs. Now, where are we going along the way? Because I'm sure a lot of people saying, boy, things don't look good right now. How dare you say it'll be all fine for the next eight years? Well, I do see mid-decade also some other issues coming into play and the stock market be down, maybe down at 20% again. And we may see commodities down. We may see real estate cooling off. But I'm not picking up at that as a time of uh, major concern. But I will point out zigzags along the way this decade. Things things don't move in a straight line. You know, it's not going to go up until 2030 and then suddenly crash. There's going to be down moves along the way for us. And it just looks like uh, looking out to next year, we can be a bit more optimistic here and uh, get a bounce next year and the following year. And then we'll probably look for reasons for another uh, a setback and learn how to deal with it. But if you're asking me, where is the major problem? I've been through this for 40 years now dealing in markets. I've studied this for the entire history of this country. I've even studied it going back to England, two or 300 years for their economy. This stuff works. And it's just saying that, boy, the news can scare the heck out of us. Like, boy, everything's just going to crash. We're all done. And it's interesting how just a few years later, hey, we're all right. And the economy's Mm -hmm. growing. And that's that's what we're into. This is a scary moment, but I have not seen the evidence that tells me, boy, it truly is different this time. Uh, it's just not going to work. Uh, the model's saying, believe it or not, for as scary as this is, this is really normal when you look back 100 years of history of what we've dealt with. Uh, right. That we'll, we'll get through it and, and recover. Right on. Well, good stuff as usual, Rich. Man, I really enjoy this when you come on here because you, you have a very – I don't know if uh, contrarian is the right right term to use here, but it you're 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 saying something different than everybody else is saying right now. So it it's a it's a it's a good viewpoint that kind of give you two sides of the story there to take a look at. So appreciate you being on the podcast, man. All right, thank you very much, Rich. Talk about your podcast a little bit real quick and when people can find that. Yeah, go to criticalpointpod.com. You'll see the site explains myself and uh, the work we're doing here and all this modeling, a few free things. And there's some links that will take you to another site that actually lists all the videos. Some of them are free and they're videos, audios. Most of them are locked up in our premium service and you should, you should try it. If you don't like it in less than two weeks, uh, you'll find uh, you can just cancel and it'll never show up on your credit card. Uh, once you hit two weeks or longer, then yeah, you'll be charged every month. And it's a very small fee compared compared to a lot of newsletters because I don't write a newsletter. Everything's video audio. It saves me a lot of time, a lot of work. I don't hire people to help edit stuff. And uh, so I can put out some very good signals relative to the to the cost. And you can also uh, ding me over at Twitter, uh, Rich underscore Possum. 
and ask me a question, direct message, or just post something, and I'll get back to you as, as fast as I can. But I've been doing this for 40 years in these markets, and uh, I use it my own money, my own retirement, and uh, all I can tell you is it works. Can't be right on everything, but it has taught me that uh, stay with it. Uh, stick with the method, the system, the model, and, uh, and it's going to be a very exciting journey this decade. It certainly has been this year. And yes, there's been some surprises at times, but for the most part, the model is saying, hey, this is what we were due for and we're getting it. And but it's all within parameters. So it should work out for us in the future. Right on. Okay. Well, Rich, I'm thank you for being on the podcast and uh, we'll uh, we'll catch up with you next month, man. Thank you. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to the YouTube channel, Moving Iron Podcast, and you'll be able to see the video of what we're doing here. Also, uh, my good friend Alex Trachenko has made his way back to Ukraine. He's in country now, and he is hauling humanitarian aid uh, back to his country people, countrymen around uh, uh, with his help from other, other places. He sent me a picture the other day of the van that he bought uh, loaded to the gills with everything from strollers to you know you you know canned goods so i mean he just all over the place delivering stuff so if you'd like to help alex and his uh efforts go to uh, gofundme and you can go look up alex help alex transport humanitarian aid from poland to ukraine and you can uh, donate what you can there so um alex is uh putting himself in, in uh, harm's way here to, to kind of help uh help his people out and I really hope uh, hope he's doing well over there. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Rich Possum. Let's go move smart, folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving higher in the 21st century.